You're listening to Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver. My guest this week is Kathy Malkasian. Her latest book is Wake Up Percy, uh, or was it Wake Up Percy Gloom? It's Wake Up Percy Gloom. There we go. Wake Up Percy Gloom. <laughs> uh, a follow-up to her first graphic novel release, uh, Percy Gloom, as well as the other, the probably the biggest book you have, uh, Temperance, uh, mm-hmm. all from Fantagraphics, and then I also have a couple of little minis you did. Oh, uh, really? The Pater Contrarius and Little uh-huh. Miss Mess. Oh my goodness! So you were at Comic Con one year when I was there. No, uh, Robert. The uh, he sent them to me. Oh, Robert Gooden. Oh. Yeah. Eight. Yeah, he sent me like a big package of everything he'd published a number of years ago. Okay, so he sent you Odin, the anthology. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I should have pulled that out, probably. I'm presuming you had something in there. Yeah, I had something in there, too. But, um, no, I was just... Odin was... That was quite a neat experience. I think that's where we all got our feet wet. You know, doing comics. Or at least... I, Rob was very good at getting us all inspired. Mm-hmm. And you know him from your other career, um, animation, I'm presuming. Right. We met at Klasky Chupo. Which is the comp the company that um, did you know Rugrats, All Real Monsters, Duckman, Wild Thornberries, um, gosh, you name it. And so, all, are those all stuff you worked on? I know you worked on Rugrats and Wild Thornberries. Yeah, I worked on all of those actually, and and I believe Rob did too. You know, we we sort of um, we were put on different crews depending on what what show was in production. But I think, yeah, I think he and I worked on all of those things, and probably, I think we worked on Stressed Eric, which was a BBC uh, cartoon, a very bleak British comedy. I love the name of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> you should check it out, Stressed Eric. I think you can, I think you can find episodes on YouTube. <laughs> that, that sounds like such a, like, a, I don't know how to put it, just sounds like a poor, unfortunate child. <laughs> yeah. Who just probably has some kind of anxiety all the time. Oh, he does. He's he's got this throbbing vein on his forehead that that because of the accumulation of stress throughout the episode, it finally pops out and wraps around his neck and strangles him. That's how every episode ends. <laughs> it's very British. <laughs> I love that. And then the currently you're working on the Curious George cartoon. Um, I finished work on Curious George, let's see, when was it? I think it was last July. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were doing, you know, we every now and then we were doing specials, and then I they would ask me to work on a special, so I would storyboard for that. It's the kind of the life of working in animation, where it's just you kind of jump from project to project to project. Yeah, exactly. It's very itinerant. <laughs> now, you... Like we say, you, you met Rob while working in animation, so that was really your first artistic vocation, was wanting to do animation? No, I I mean, I always uh, loved animation, but um, I just, you know, growing up, I, I just assumed that, y- you know, you had to go to art school and follow this rigorous, you know, series of steps to get to it, so I just thought, okay, I'll, I'll never get into animation, but I enjoy it. Um, but I, I absolutely fell into it because I was living in L.A., 
and not knowing what to do. And I was trying to be a production assistant on, you know, live action stuff. And then, it, it, anyway, the live action world was not very, uh, I don't know, it just didn't fit. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like with every PA job I got, I kept getting directed into animation until finally um, I dropped off my portfolio at Klasky Chupo, just expecting nothing, really. Um, but they happened to be hiring, and I guess they didn't, they didn't care that I hadn't gone to art school. And, um, you know, they just really needed people <laughs> at that point. So the timing was, was perfect. So you're completely kind of self-taught artist. Yeah, yeah, I'm self-taught artist, but then, you know, my years at Klasky Chupo and, and elsewhere were, you know, they've always been like an apprenticeship. That's how I see it. I really see it as an old-fashioned, um, you know, sort of like working for uh, the, the masters <laughs> and watching how they do things and learning from them and gathering information and applying it. Um, that's for me. That's the best way to work, anyway. Apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, to me, that's the only way to learn because you, you know, you you learn the principles and you immediately put them into practice, and you see if they work or not. Now, when did you start being able to tell stories? Um, because, like, the big thing I see, like, with you, it's like you are you're a storyteller predominantly, like, regardless of what kind of medium you're working in. It's the presumption I'm making. Yeah. Um, well, um, it it probably grew out of um, my curiosity about what writers did when I, you know, when I was working in animation, and especially when I worked on uh, the Wild Thornberrys movie. I really wanted to, you know, know what the writer's process was, um, and I had done, you know, a couple of comics before that, smaller comics uh, for Rob, but writing was a mystery to me, you know, I, um, aside what I'd done in high school or, or college or whatever, you know, so I really wanted to learn more about it, learn, learn their point of view in the process of movie making. So I went to a seminar, you know, everybody goes to screenwriting seminars, and the seminar was full of rules and, you know, formulas and stuff, but it was very, very helpful and it gave me a lot of respect for uh, the process of structuring a story, you know, character development, um, all that painstaking stuff that's so tedious. Um, and, and, you know, I just, I think from working on a, on a film, which was, I think, a two-year process, I got used to long form, uh, a long-form work format. So I wasn't intimidated anymore by you know, working on the same thing for that long. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so that's that's how it came about. I just really wanted to know what it was like to be a writer in animation. And then from there, I thought, well, I, I should, you know, eventually I should try my own stories. Because working on a movie for two years also frustrates you. <laughs> as, much as, it, <laughs> as much as you learn from it, you're like, God, you know, when this is over, I, I just want to do my own stuff. Because I've been working on the same thing, you know, somebody else's project for two years, and I, I want to be liberated, you know. So that's kind of what happened. And it seems like, and this may also be really presumptuary, is that when you're, like, working in animation and directing, um, it's not your singular vision you're working with. 
Right. It's like a collaborative vision. Yeah, it really is. You're working for uh, the studio and you're working with everybody else. And it's great fun. But, um, yeah, at the end of the day, <laughs> there's things you wish you could have done and that you, you may have even argued for um, with the writer and producer, but you just, you know, it was a matter of taste and, and their taste was the taste that won out. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, that's another part of the springboard into doing your own stuff, for sure. A lot of the work you do is for children, and it maybe it's, I don't know if it surprises me or what the word I want to use, but it's interesting that your work isn't, your your comic work isn't for children. Right. And I'm wondering if that's kind of like a balance you're doing creatively or just something you're more naturally drawn to. Well, I'm, I'm really drawn to philosophical questions, you know, existential questions, um, and I have kind of a dark sense of humor, um, so that really doesn't translate. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you, I mean, you could probably pick out some of my episodes of kids stuff and say, "Oh, it's got her touch," you know, because maybe maybe there was a little dark sense of humor running through it. I don't know, but I couldn't really unleash that <laughs> in my day job. So yeah, I, I mean, adult material. Um, appeals to me more if, if I'm going to invest that much time um, one of the things reading through the work that stuck out to me was at the end of the first uh, Percy Gloom book is uh, you have a I'm going to quote it um, in the business of caution we are unprepared for happiness mm -hmm. and um, that kind of seems to be a theme running through your comics mm -hmm. um, and I wonder if you can talk on, on that quote and maybe I'm ruining the book for folks saying that from the end I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> but it really it really stuck out to me like I read that and like that's great mm -hmm. well I mean it's it's pretty much a central question of being an adult isn't it mm -hmm. um, we just spend so much time trying to build up our security you know, our material security, our psychological security, whatever, um, you know, we strive and strive and we don't live for the moment. That's, you know, I would have written contentment instead of happiness, but I think happiness carried more punch. Yeah. But um, contentment is really the sense of it, you know. And I, that's probably a theme I can expound you know, forever. <laughs> you know, that could be at the heart of, of every book. And it's usually, you know, I'm, I'm planning another Percy book, and, and that's, that's always going to be an undercurrent in his stories. Um, just because of, of the nature of who he, who he is, uh, which I won't give away, but, you know, he's got a uniqueness to him that the, the people he meets don't have. And and it poses a particular challenge for him in de in deciding how to live his life. So I know I'm being very, very <laughs> vague there, but uh, I think once people read the book, they'll know what I mean. When you're working on these books, um, was it something you're doing on the side uh, while working, or was it one of the things you do as there's like breaks in in the animation work? 
Um, the first Percy book was just that's all that's all I was doing, and um, that I have to say that was one glorious year. I, I loved having no interruptions, and then the other two I was doing as I was doing animation work. So and and you know, I I still loved working on them. You know, I would work on them late at night, early in the morning before I went to work, on the weekends, you know, whenever I had time. So um, you never stop thinking <laughs> about it. Even when you're at your day job, you just, you know, you it, make, it becomes an obsession. You're making little notes while you're working on your other stuff. Well, at least mental notes, yeah. Yeah, or just jotting something on a post-it. Yeah, because it's just always there in the background. Now, one of the things um, you mentioned earlier, creating characters, and um, one of the big things about all your work is the places are just as important as the people I find. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering about, like, kind of the, the importance of, of place in the work that you create. Because it's, it's just as much a character as the protagonist mm -hmm. in different uh ways. No, I, I'm a big believer in that. I'm, I'm a big believer in that in animation, too. I mean, in filmmaking. That's something I learned from studying film, and, you know, which was what we studied to do animation. Um, everything in that frame reflects the point of view of the character. So, you know, it reflects their emotional state. It reflects whatever obstacles are in their way. Um, it's just so, so important. And um, when I started in animation, I started in character design. Then I moved to background design. And that was, you know, that, that was all before I started storyboarding and then directing. And that was a wonderful education. Um, because when I got to storyboarding then, I, I was confident enough with background design and I was confident enough with character design where I could put them both in a panel comfortably. Mm-hmm. And that's not always easy. No, and that's that's something I, I kind of, when I think of animation, I think of character and background as definitely two distinct parts in a lot of examples. Yeah, and, and I, unfortunately, not to get on a soapbox, but I'll get on a very small soapbox. Unfortunately, a lot of um, animation I see now doesn't really involve a lot of deep space in the background. You know, it's, it's very flat. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's very good for storyboard artists. It's not giving them enough of a creative challenge. Maybe they don't want a creative challenge, though, so I, <laughs> I don't know. You know, sometimes you just want to collect a paycheck and go home, and I totally understand that. But the kind of shows that we worked on at Klasky Chupo were very cinematic. And so everybody had to have a knowledge of space, you know, and perspective and, and be comfortable with moving those characters through space um, and part of it was a cost-cutting reason. Um, our, our storyboards, were when they were sent to animation overseas, they were often Xeroxed up and used as layout uh, panels. And layout is sort of this interim stage between storyboarding and full animation where, where the animation team will plot out where a character is in space at a certain frame in time. Mm -hmm. So, so we were doing basically layout boards in order for the company to save money um, with the overseas budget. 
more or less. <laughs> so we all sort of had to dig in and you know learn all this stuff. It was kind of an economic necessity. <laughs> Now, within within your own work, within the the graphic novels, um, what what comes first for you, the characters or the places? Like as you kind of, mm, it's it's kind of simultaneous, you know. Because I mean, going off of that, what I said about you know everything in the frame mm-hmm. reflecting the mood, um, you know, you could you could start with a place, or you could start with a character. Um, just it just really depends what mood you're going for and what kind of content um, you know you're trying to highlight the most. So I, I don't really have a clear <laughs> delineation there. <laughs> um, it's I, I think for me especially in uh, Temperance, which isn't a Percy Gloom story and is a very different story mm-hmm. than than the Percy Gloom's work mm-hmm. um, or Percy Gloom's. Um, it seems like that is the main character, is, is the place. Yeah, it's very much <laughs> the, the, the place, and, and, and the protagonist, or one of the protagonists in it, you know, was rooted, literally rooted in the environment mm-hmm. at the beginning of the story. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's kind of, um, yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess one kind of one of the things here is is about like the design aspect of creating these places like um like visualizing it is, is I'm really interested in because they're really unusual odd like in the latest Percy Gloom you have the wall and it's just really interesting like I just I don't know I'm just really well, drawn to that part Yeah a lot of the places start with ideas and concepts um, and and one of the concepts I wanted to explore in the in the latest Percy Gloom book is the idea of of being on a threshold, um, uh, of of living on a threshold. You know, there there are points in our lives I think when we we don't know if we're here or there. You know, if you're about to make a life change or you know 
you're changing jobs or locations or families or whatever, um, or, or you're just getting older, <laughs> there's, you know, there, there's always a, a, a period in your life where you're just neither here nor there, and I use that expression in the book. Um, and so that's where the idea of that wall came from, um, this idea of, of a threshold and then living on or within a threshold. Now the uh, another big aspect is is you know the the places and the people and um, you seem really drawn to doing um, really focusing on kind of particular type of character. Mm -hmm. You can kind of see contrast between Percy Gloom and uh, Minerva and Temperance um, mm -hmm. in folks just trying to do the right thing. Right. Right. And uh, and I like. Or be interested in this kind of setting you put people into, mm -hmm. and like that problem-solving aspect to it. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the older you get, the more gray—not <laughs> just your hair, but everything in life becomes. Everything becomes ethically very complex, and it's—it's—I I don't mean to sound, you know, relativistic or anything about morals, but but you know, you do start to see that that. Everyone's got their struggle, and they're just trying their best to get through. Um, and yeah, I threw a pretty big struggle <laughs> at Minerva. Um, and you know, that was written at a time when, you know, in the United States, there was a you know a couple of wars that we got into, and one of which was predicated on some pretty shaky evidence, and and everybody knew it. Um, and you know. You could you can get really angry about that, which which I did, but then you can try looking at the other side of people who are trying to make the best of things and and lying to themselves in order to make the best of things and and I think that whole era in my country um, sort of awakened that question like how much will people lie to themselves to make the best of things to hold it together and and you know that's that's a kind of question that you can take to societal level down to the personal level and and when you can lock on to something that has that kind of spread um, you've, you've got a good theme for a book I think you know mm -hmm. well it's interesting even talking about being on shaky ground and um, like how much you kind of have to lie to yourself to get through things mm-hmm which I feel is kind of pretty important in temperance. Yeah, and you know, in the in the case of that story, and and in the case of a lot of people's lives, the lie becomes the truth. And uh, you know, whether it's individual or collective, it it becomes that scaffold on which you <laughs> can hang everything else and build a functioning life. Um, you know, whether or not you agree with the foundations of it, you can't disagree whether or not it works if it works. Um, and unfortunately, at that time, you know, politically in this country, uh, what what was working for maybe half the people <laughs> was not working at all for the other half of the people. You know, you had two very clashing philosophies that, um, you know, were, were sort of, I don't know, just settling. Yeah, 
very unsettling. And, and you know, as you've probably observed, um, I mean, I think, think people have been retreating to two opposite camps in this country for quite some time. Um, that might be thawing a little bit now, but um, it's it's been a very strange time. And when people aren't listening to each other, then, you know, all sorts of mischief ensues and, and you get into wars. <laughs> or at least, you know, at least one war that we shouldn't have gotten into. Mm-hmm. It's the, yeah. <laughs> it's such yeah. a... It ended up destroying our economy, but again, I won't go on. <laughs> <laughs> This stuff is self-evident, and everybody knows it. So, <laughs> um, so there's, I don't want to say, um, I'm trying to think of the word I'm trying to use. Like it's not. Oh, Robin, why can't you think of the word? Um, I was trying to think of like how temperance plays a role in kind of working through issues, and I can't think of the word that describes that. So I'm just gonna move on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it'll come to you, Robin. It'll come. Um, your use of color, or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm presuming you're drawing with a type of pencil? I'm just drawing with a regular pencil, and we print the comics using two inks. It's a, it's a process called duotone. Mm-hmm. And um, usually we use like a very dark, almost indigo, for um, the darks and then more of a sepia for the lighter, the mid and, and lighter tones. What attracts you about those tones coming from, you know, bright, colorful animation to really like the opposite direction? Well, uh, you know, when you look at a black and white movie, there's something otherworldly about it to me. Uh, it puts you in a different headspace watching a black and white movie, an old film, as opposed to a color one, and it's, to me, it's a step just above listening to a radio show, mm-hmm. in that it, because there's some deprivation of your senses there, it engages your mind a little more. I mean, I, I have no proof of this, but this is my own experience of watching a black and white as opposed to a color film, and uh, I, I like that. It, it's, it's definitely taking you into you know, a world apart from the reality you know. Uh, and, and that's what I was going for in, in these books. But just adding a touch of color to give it a bit more life on the page. Mm-hmm. Hiding in Happy Town, your cartoon that you have up on YouTube, mm-hmm. I think there's, what, eight parts? Yeah, there's eight episodes, right. And that's that's black and white. Um, is that something you, you want? Huh? Well, that was black and white for really for expediency because um, because I did the whole thing from soup to nuts on that, and it's a extremely tedious process. <laughs> <laughs> and, and believe me, you know, putting color in there was not another step I wanted to add. I, you know, I was sitting at the computer for so many months doing that that uh, I was going out of my mind. <laughs> So um, yeah, color would have added another couple of months. It was that the first time you'd done uh, a cartoon by yourself completely? Well, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, I've done I've done storyboards, and I've worked, you know, in storyboarding software. I, I mean, I used to do storyboards on paper, and then we've all sort of switched 
to software where you draw right on a tablet. So mm-hmm. I was one step toward uh, doing a, a show completely. But um, yeah, this was my first outing and it taught me a lot. I mean, I, I had worked in sound effects right at the beginning uh, when I first moved to LA. So I'd worked in sound effects for cartoons. Um, so I knew something about that. But you but, also did all the voices mm-hmm. and the music. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, I had written music before. Um, I was a music major, so... Oh, you know, okay. Yeah. So that was something that I, I always wanted an excuse to, you know, do more music. I mean, I did a, a song for the first Percy Gloom book, and, you know, whenever I can, I like to sneak music into what I'm doing. I saw that at the back. You have the, the sheet music. Is it... Is there anywhere anyone can listen to it? Yeah, actually, I, I sang it on my website, so you can access the song on my website. Okay, there we go. And it's percygloom.com. Right. Now, was part of the reason to do uh, Hiding in Happy Town was kind of a creative exercise to kind of beef up yeah, these other skills at the same time? It, it was a creative exercise, and um, I just wanted to do the kind of cartoon that I would want to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's. I I worked on adult animation that I really liked, and but sometimes I see adult animation on TV that I don't like very much. I don't like the sense of humor very much. So I thought, all right, I'm going to take a stab at this, and um, you know, just give it my little bleak take on things. Uh, <laughs> you know, with just I don't know. It's it's good hearted with with a few bleak moments. You seem very drawn to like a kind of a dry sense of humor. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. <laughs> I kind of enjoy the awkward moments in life. Mhm. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's the to me that's that's the crux of of what adult animation is is to take all those socially embarrassing things and just throw them up there and and let people you know, see themselves and not feel too bad about themselves. You know, via via some hapless character. I really like depicting characters, you know, to whom everything happens. All kinds of crap. <laughs> <laughs> really no I, uh, one no one's safe in any of your books. No, no one's safe. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about the return to Percy Gloom. Um, doing the Percy Gloom book and then doing Temperance um, and then coming back with Wake Up Percy Gloom. Well, um, Temperance was a departure for me in that it's a really serious book and it's it's violent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it wiped me out. <laughs> you know, it's also very metaphysical. I mean, if you get if you can get to the third part, it becomes, you know, almost completely metaphysical and symbolic and, you know... Yeah. It, it gets progressively more and more metaphysical as you go along. And that's really tough stuff to work on, um, just day after day. And I decided after that I needed to do a comedy again. And Percy Gloom is just... I just look at that guy and I smile. There's just something about him that that's so... Empathetic, empathetic. <laughs> <laughs> I like that the basic main thing of the character is like no matter what you throw at him, 
he'll work his way through it. He will, and, and I think he shares that quality with the Minerva character in Temperance. They're just absolutely the most persistent characters. Um, I remember seeing an independent film called Welcome to the Dollhouse. I don't know if you ever saw that. Yeah, Todd Solons. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the central character was just the embodiment of persistence. He threw everything at her. Um, and she just kept going. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was hysterically funny. I mean, I, I just found that film to be so dark but so funny and, and that character be, to be so lovable. You know, for that for that reason alone, she just kept going. And that's the kind of uh, Percy feels a little different, though, where he doesn't have the same. I don't know if it's. It almost feels like a lackadaisic, per, you know, persistence. Well, yeah, I'm. I I like to think of Percy as an accidental hero. Yeah. He kind of stumbles into things and. Um, you know, he helps people without realizing he's helping them, and um, there's a real modesty to him. Um, he he just he doesn't you know he doesn't really stand out a whole lot, and yet he ends up standing out a lot by the end of the book. You know, um, I guess that I, that humility is very attractive to me in a character, and it's not very lauded <laughs> in this <laughs> age either. So he's sort of a maybe a little symbol of rebellion on my part to, you know, let's put forth these kind of characteristics too, you know, a little humility and he's a gentleman and um, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't have schemes for humanity, he just goes through his life. But his mom's the complete opposite then. Yeah, she's <laughs> a very, very different character. Yes, his mother's a pretty much a ball of fire. Um, sort of a, a social planner. <laughs> <laughs> when you were uh, creating these characters, did you have this bigger story in mind, or are they kind of developed through the different books? Well, in the first book, I did have all this backstory about his mother and uh, her nature and his nature, and, you know, I, I just couldn't fit it into the first book because the first book was was not a wordy book. You know, I had long passages of pretty quiet stuff you know, punctuated with a few monologues. Um, and there was a lot I wanted to tell about about his mother specifically. Um, so, yeah, so, so I, I kind of saved up all of that for the second book. Um, you seem to, it, I don't know if I get quite the same impression of kind of big monologues. You seem to be able to give the space a lot of breathing. Um, mm -hmm and kind of allowing them to go through those fantastic towns. Well, one thing I've learned working in film and TV <clears throat> is not to let the exposition show. Um, if you're going to have exposition, make it entertaining. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't, I don't know if that is such a, a rule for books. You know, I mean, books, books are a whole different animal, but... Um, it's definitely a rule for screenwriting. Um, audiences are very tough on movies. As soon as they hear someone <laughs> um, spelling out what's going on, they, they're like, oh, brother, I've seen this before, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And so I, I, I guess I see a graphic novel as sort of a hybrid between a book and a movie. Mm-hmm. At least is from from my you know vantage point of working, um, and and so that sort of imperative of making the exposition entertaining is really important for me, and it's a creative challenge too. I was reading a, a Chester Brown interview yesterday or today, um, where he talks about how I think it was yesterday that you should be shouldn't he says shouldn't at all use any kind of descriptives of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and you seem to be kind of more of a balance of how do the descriptions add. Yeah, I don't want to be too, you know, draconian in my in my rules to myself. Um, I I think, you know, the, these books still function in a literary way, so I think it's okay to get wordy now and then um, and, and sort of play with the form. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'd love to do whole stretches... Um, you know, and I, and I might in the future just do a silent book, and you know, I, I think that this form is completely flexible. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to have myself in with too many rules, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do want to be, you know, make it a page turner. No matter what, I want to make it a page turner. So we haven't really talked about other comics at all and I'm curious what are some comics that you've read that have excited you and kind of gotten you driven into doing more comics I don't read a lot of comics <laughs> <laughs> you've probably heard that before from comics makers but I, I don't really know a lot about the comics world um, I, I can tell you that the work I love visually um, is Lorenzo Matotti and Lisbeth Swerger who's a Austrian illustrator. They're my two favorite image makers in, in the whole world, probably. Um, uh, it's f- I, that's funny, because I was, when I was looking at uh, the first one you did, the Pater Contraverius, I was thinking about Matodi. Well, thank you very I much. I saw that, and, like, <laughs> and I was like, I wonder if I didn't bring it up, but yeah, I can... I, I love his work. It's um, very structured and very free at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the uh, Chimera book which starts out with this yeah, little that's... with nothing but light and or just white and then it goes and works he's through. Amazing. He's amazing. He can go from light to these absolutely full volumes, you know. You would think they would just weigh the weight of the earth the way he can draw them. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. And and I I would tell anyone to check out uh, her work, Lisbeth Swerger. It's Z W E R G E R. And she's probably the top illustrator, at least for Europeans. Um, her work doesn't get a lot of exposure here, but it's stunning. Mm-hmm. It's just stunning. Up until a couple of years ago, you could say the same with Matadi. Um, how so? Oh, just that there's not a lot of English translations. Yeah. Until it's true. I don't. I don't care if I don't understand. <laughs> I just love the pictures. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's really a shame. I'm not sure why that is. Um, there's so much good work being done in Europe, and I don't know why it doesn't get over here. Have you ever looked at Anka Fuschenberger? No. She's, and I will write that down. <laughs> she's a German uh, illustrator who I think you might really be into as far as like just these great, stark black and whites. Um, How do you spell the last name? 
I'll email it to you. Okay, yeah. <laughs> well, that's right. We're doing a podcast. Yes, um, but I do recommend everyone checking out her work. It's uh, fantastic. I picked up some books of hers at TCAF a couple of years ago, and they were. I would love to check it out. Yeah, I think. Um, but I, I, I'll say I very much enjoyed your work. Um, it, there's something otherworldly. Like I definitely feel like I'm in another place, and uh, it's uh, it, it's good uh, moving from reality comics. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, I, you know, I am to please. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a reminder, folks, is I've been talking to Kathy Mulcasian, um, and her books are Percy Gloom and Wake Up Percy Gloom, as well as Temperance. Um, thank you so much for joining me today, Kathy. It's been a pleasure, Robin. Thank you.
speak, don't confide.